a doctor in the house. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. And here it is, December already. It was just, it just feels like yesterday, Dr. Batar, you were in, we were in, and we were talking about the end of the world as we know it with the Mayan calendar a year ago. Yeah, and it's uh, the fastest year. I think it just seems to get faster and faster. I was talking to my daughter, who's 20, and she said to me, she said, Dad, it just seems like it was just high school, and I'm already a junior in college. And I said, yeah, wait till you hit 40. It's unbelievable how fast it gets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's definitely, definitely accelerating here. And uh, what a year. What a wild year. And listen, there's transformation that's been happening. Uh, we are in the midst of it. Sometimes we don't recognize it. Other times there are milestones we can point out. Uh, of course, there are journeys along the way that are interpersonal as well as global. Uh, you know, case in point, the most recent uh, discussion over the last couple of weeks with your dad uh, suffering a stroke and you getting back, bringing him into clinic, and and you sent me an update and a few others uh, how he was walking even faster than you had anticipated based on what you had done for him. Yeah, he's uh, not actually walking unassisted. He's walking with a cane. He's walking, you know, leaning on somebody. But the point is that he is on his own feet. He's able to bear weight. He's able to actually get himself up out of a wheelchair, move over to the sofa, or you know, take small shuffle steps to the car, which. If you think about it, Robert, we got him to Charlotte a week ago today. And last week, if you think about it, Monday coming into Charlotte at 2 o'clock, he only got half a day of treatment. On Thanksgiving Day, he only got half a day of treatment because we were closed. So we just went in there and just did the minimum stuff. And then the day after Thanksgiving, we were actually closed and we just did minimum stuff. So he got out of that one week of treatment, three of those days were half days. So he only got... Tuesday and Wednesday, full days of treatment. And to go from being totally paralyzed on the right side, not being able to even sit up barely in a chair. He couldn't even sit up himself in a car when we transported him. Somebody had to sit next to him so that we could keep him sitting up. And now he's able to stand and take steps using a table as a brace or using a cane. And it's, it's just amazing. It's far faster than what anything in standard medicine could have ever done. And using the brain recovery protocol that we use with our autistic patients once they've been chelated and once the heavy metals have been removed, using that same protocol that we've used with closed head injuries with post-stroke patients, that's what I used on my dad. And I was talking to somebody, Robert, the other day, and it's actually kind of funny. The protocol for autism was obviously developed for one person. That was my son. Yes. And it's his, his name is Abi, but that's a nickname. His real name is Abid, which is my father's name, Abid. I named my son after my dad. And, you know, everything coming full circle, you've got my son, who's named after my father. My father's name, Abid, means one who serves God. And we did it on the younger patient population based upon my son's treatment. And now full circle coming back to his grandfather or my father, um, same name, same type of a situation, a brain injury, but on a different spectrum. And uh, I don't know, it just seems strange, and yet it doesn't seem strange at all. No, not at all. I, I love the uh, full circle aspect of it. And, of course, 
you know, your son served as a, a, a conduit for the recovery of, of thousands of children and, of course, impacting now with a similar protocol for those who have suffered stroke, including his grandfather. So an exactly. extraordinary young man, as I, I know, I've met him, and he's serving a wonderful purpose. And we try to look at all of the hardships and difficulties we all have, and hopefully we can turn them into something of, of benefit, not only to ourselves, but to others. And certainly this is a living example of that. So we got good news on that front. I want to remind everybody, too, if you're new to the, the not only the Robert Scott Bell Show, but our Monday edition, we always have Dr. Rasha Bittar. We do advanced medicine. And medicalrewind.com is a great place to catch up on things, including the last couple of weeks. And one of those weeks recently, we went in depth on the protocol for stroke recovery. So if you're keenly interested in uh, what Dr. Bittar did to it for his father and the rapid recovery seeing, then go back and listen to that. And we've got links up in the show notes as well. And also, speaking of uh, the concept of paying it forward and helping others out, you have been invited to be a, a featured keynote at this event coming up in a couple of weeks, December 14th in Canada at brainsolutions.ca. We've got that special link in the show notes today at robertscottbell.com, brainsolutions.ca. Now, confirm for me, Dr. Batar, is this open to the public from people from all over the world can come to this? Yes, it is. It's open for the whole world. And actually, they've uh, changed everything now, and I'm supposed to be the only speaker. They've given me the whole day. So we start at 9 o'clock that morning, and so it'll be a whole-day workshop. Well, this is exciting, and uh, it's in follow-up to what your experience you had there recently. Is it also in in Vancouver? Yes, exactly. It's in Vancouver, Canada, and it's all to do with brain recovery and solutions for brain problems. If If I remember correctly, you had some challenging interactions with some of the physicians in attendance last time. Uh, do you expect the same this time? Well, actually, it was it was more a challenge to the people who set the conference up in the beginning, and then after the conclusion, those same healthcare providers came up to the people who had set up the conference and asked them, "Do you think that this tremor in my hand is from the mercury?" You know, those type of questions. If that's what you're referring to, I don't think they'll be the same type of issues, Robert. But you know, you never know. There may be some of those that that are not aware that are tending to um, possibly learn. They're more maybe more curious than anything else, but they're going to be a lot more people there that truly want to know which direction to move based upon their own situations. And this, again, isn't just for stroke or it's not just for autism. It's for basically anybody that has any type of a brain issue. So neurovascular disease is a big component. That's what causes stroke, whether it's hemorrhagic, whether it's ischemic, it doesn't matter. Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, autism, any type of closed head injury, we're going to be talking about the solutions for all of those things. And of course, many of these solutions you need to find a provider that can do the treatments that has a training that understands the whole concept um, but many of these things depending on the extent of the damage can be done without a provider but of course if you're talking about something like autism you're talking about something like closed head injury or post-stroke then you are going to need more definitive intervention and we will be talking about those components and more more importantly than talking about the interventions talking about a general concept of detoxification and many of the things we've touched briefly during our show, Robert, but we're going to go much deeper into depth because I've got a whole day to do it and to build upon that fundamental concept of detoxification and then rebuilding. First putting out the fire in the house and then rebuilding the house. Beautiful. And I'll also ask you to you know, just to do a little homework for the show, just like you did in Europe. Gather a sense of what you know, the difference in the physician population 
in Canada of those you meet there as far as the system they're in? Because, we've, you know, there's a lot of, let's say, uh, speculation from American physicians that may not have been there to hear and see it firsthand, maybe some things that are advantageous to what their programs are up there versus disadvantages to more state, uh, let's say, interventions, because Canada has uh, seemingly a single-payer government-type system. But yet I hear a lot of things about privatization as well, doctors that are not part of that system that, that take patients on because the wait is too long otherwise. Yeah, that's very true. But, you know, the one underlying theme that I've heard from everybody, not just physicians, but the general public, in any country that I've gone. In fact, it doesn't even have to be in countries. It can be within the United States in different states. People will say the same thing. Oh, well, in our state, we're so backwards, and it's not as progressive as, and then they always mention, you know, North Carolina, or if they're out of the country, then they mention the states. It's always the grass is greener over the other side type of concept, but what they don't realize is that the same problems are universal they're, they're affecting the global population it doesn't matter where you are you know when people tell me how progressive north carolina is i laugh i said <laughs> north carolina is probably one of the most primitive states oh but you're still doing all this stuff there and i said it's not because it's an advanced state it's because i'm a belligerent individual that's why <laughs> it has nothing yes. to do with the freedoms that are afforded us in north carolina or or in the united states for that matter and i think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago about how far down the totem pole the United States is now as far as being ranked in individual freedoms. I think we're 16th, if I remember what I'd... It was fresh in my mind at the time from the conference that I'd come to, but I believe it was 16th that the United States ranks right now based upon a British group that does a survey every year and ranks the top 50 countries in many different arenas, including education and health, etc. And in individual freedoms, the United States was ranked as a 16th. The, you know, the, the nation that prides itself on... Freedom mm-hmm. is ranked 16th in the world for individual freedoms. I mean, that that's just a very sorry state. Yeah, and, and we've talked about the, the medical issues, of course, and the health care issues being a, a big area where freedom is, is, is severely and sorely deficient. Uh, by, by design, in fact, because of uh, things that, uh, like the Flexner report that we've discussed as well, and Ty Bollinger has written about as well. Uh, but these things are orchestrated by design, and it, it probably goes back a lot further than that. But let's say in contemporary history, we like to track it back to make sense of how did we get here? Just in the same way you would do it as a doctor or a physician, as a homeopath, I would say, how did the patient get where the patient is? And we track back so we can undo it, like you said, the detoxification. If you have no earthly idea that somebody is metal toxic and burdened in this way, you don't address it, they suffer no matter what treatment you give them. Exactly. And it's interesting that you bring this up to track it back because it's been so far, so many generations. I mean, we're basically in the third generation of what we call modern medicine. So people don't even remember the flexion report or the history of it and it's so important to study history it's just like when you're talking about the current economic situation not just in the united states but on a global basis and you start looking at the currency aspect and i don't want to go off on a tangent here actually actually hold on on the tangent i don't mind economic tangents i love it by the way uh, one of my favorite books by richard mayberry whatever happened to penny candy gives perspective on this but we'll talk some more about this and a lot of healing on all levels here with Dr. Batar on Advanced Medicine Monday right here on The Robert Scott Bell Show. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. We had to go to break real quick there, Dr. Batar, and you were getting into some economic realms, which we love to discuss as well. So uh, as we say, healing on all levels. We're not kidding. Well, I just was going to mention, Robert, that while hearing a lecturer about the economic situation, mentioning that a lot of people ridicule those that are looking at gold and silver as a tangible monetary asset. Mm -hmm. And the comment that he made, which was very intriguing, he said that we're into the second and third generations of economists that don't even remember being on a gold standard. And so people think that that's all back then for the for the older generation, but what they forget is that that older generation extends back to 7,000, 10,000 years. <laughs> I mean, as far back as recorded history goes, the valuation has always been on these metals or on something tangible. Mm-hmm. And whenever you start to you know, create this uh, fiat currency, as I, I think that's your, that's your that's term. Well, that's one for, of the right? terms. Of course, you know, some, some would divide it and say there's also the legal tender which is somewhat distinct or different, and there there are similarities, and they're playing themselves out right now. But I mean, this is where the government forces you to accept that what you would normally never accept in a free market, because you'd say, "Well, how can I trust that you have a limited supply of those pieces of paper?" <laughs> which is obviously not the case. Right. Right. Exactly. But it's interesting that when we go back a few generations, if you've got one one generation that remembers the first generation that remembers what happened. 20, 30, 40 years ago, that's one thing. But then when you have a second generation that comes that's never experienced what the first generation did, and then you've got the third generation that comes, that it's just like a tall tale or, you know, old wives' tale, what they hear from the first generation. They don't even realize it, and yet that's where history repeats itself, and that's where we have to look. That's where the flexion report comes in, and that's where many of these situations that we're talking about, not just with the medical side or the economic side, but on all different aspects. When you talk about political rife, you talk about how long does a democracy last normally. I mean, all democracies throughout history seem to have lasted between 200 and 250 years until they go through the same phase that we seem to be in right now, the, the, the last phase of uh, a free society. So the point being that we have to understand history. We have to look at history. We have to learn from the lessons that history teaches us. And if we don't, then we're no better than the generation previous to us or, or to the generations previous to us that actually suffered the same consequences because they didn't look back and understand where they came from. Well, and again, coming back to the medical, uh, I call it malpractice, but it's what the standard of practice is. It's complete ignorance of that kind of history. You mean there were doctors that believed in the law of the terrain? When did that happen? That's kind of weird and old if I've never heard of it. You know, it's suddenly you're like being reintroducing generations that have, have lost it because it's not being taught and hasn't been for some time. You're right, Robert. And in fact, this whole concept of why are we doing it this way? Well, because we've always done it this way. So if something was done and it was done the wrong way and then everybody started to continue that process because they didn't know any better, that lack of innovation, that lack of independent thought, that lack of understanding and looking back into history and seeing what were the lessons that we should have learned, it's like somebody walks into a wall, you mm-hmm. back up and you walk into the wall again, and you back up and you walk into the wall again. How many times are you going to walk into the wall? If you don't learn from the first time you hit your head in that brick wall, then you know sometimes 
I don't mean to be cynical, but I almost feel like we as a society, if we can't learn from our mistakes, then we deserve butting our head into the wall constantly. Well, and that is the that is the point. I mean, kids are often smart enough that they get, they get burned once on the stove and they remember that forever. Exactly. Uh, and exactly. yet, as adults in America and American doctors, some of us, uh, you know, if I say it in that general uh, way, just just not willing or capable of learning anymore. Of course, some of that has been bred out because of the fear of actually, you know, sticking your head out for something you observe to be different than what the emperor is saying. So uh, right. there is that big aspect of peer control as well as the fear of loss of economic livelihood. Right, and that is that's a true statement that the manipulation that's conducted on the higher on the higher levels to prevent people from actually following through with their own inclination for independent thought and sometimes being violently opposed uh, does probably prevent a lot of people from doing what they feel the urge to do. Um, I saw an interesting movie over the weekend while we were um, with the family for Thanksgiving and it was called The Island and it was basically about individuals being cloned and the society that had been created in this small community which was being insulated from the real world, they were told that they had been in contamination, nuclear war, and that they were in the society and their role was very specific to repopulate the planet. Whereas, in fact... Well, yeah, well, what was the real story? Hold on. I want to find out what that is. We've got to take a quick break here. Dr. Rashi Bittar is here, as he is every week, for Advanced Medicine Monday. Check it out, medicalrewind.com if you miss anything. And we'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Usually we hold off on movie reviews until Friday, occasionally with Liam Sheff when he drops by. But uh, hey, why not? Uh, it's a post holiday weekend. People might be doing some movies. So you said this movie is called The Island, Dr. Batar, not The Island yeah, the, of Dr. Uh, Moreau, right? Where he's doing the animal no. stuff? Yeah. No, it's a different movie. It's uh, actually just called The Island, and it's got, um, I don't remember, the oh, Scarlett Johansson in there. And I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's not like a cheap little science fiction movie, but it is a science fiction movie. It's based in the future, and basically they've created this little community where they're making these clones, and the clones are told that they are part of the population that survived and that they are going to help to repopulate the Earth. But where in fact, they are nothing more than clones that were created for wealthy celebrities and politicians and athletes etc people that had a lot of money but they had failing limbs or they had you know, they oh yeah you failure. know it's just coming back to me now doctor this isn't a new film this has been out for a while and, and uh, yes. yeah you can see yes. it on netflix or something yeah it's actually a really really intriguing film uh that the the wealthy were basically as you said cloning others but they had consciousness now and of right. course the people were to- yeah the, the clients were told that they they would never uh, get they would never become conscious. They weren't sentient beings yet. Right. In actuality, they found that the organs would fail, and so they had to bring these clones to consciousness in order for the organs to be strong enough for them to be able to transplant. And so the, the point that I was bringing up here, though, and the reason I thought this story had some pertinence to our discussion about right. looking back at history, you know, we look at 
even the futuristic movies talking about. In fact, this isn't the only movie. They've got the one about the repossessors that go back and when people get a transplant, but they don't pay for the transplant, and these people go back and they repossess the organs. You remember that movie? I don't remember that. That sounds more like a Monty Python skit. No, it's actually it's actually a, a thriller, a science fiction thriller, and a lot of um, you know violence and this and that. And of course, they're harvesting the organs right there in the wherever they wherever they repossess the individual. But the point that I'm making is again this this concept of not understanding where we came from mm-hmm. and not understanding where we're going. And as a society, we have to understand that because these movies, when they're talking about organ transplant and they're talking about um, the, the use of other, creating these clones to pull uh, organs out or repossessing organs. Well, why would there be even a need for this type of a movie? Because 20 years ago, we didn't have movies like this. In Star Trek, I don't remember any episodes of Star Trek or any of the older shows talking about organs being harvested for people that were having medical problems or repossessing organs. But this is a concept in the last 10 years, if you think about it, Robert, because people mm-hmm. are not... They're not getting the solutions from the drugs. They're not getting solutions from the medical system. So now what are they looking at? They're looking at, okay, let's just recreate the organ mm-hmm. with cloning or let's take an organ and then we'll have whatever we need or whatever our body needs as opposed to let's optimize what we already have. Let's Reach do it right. Yeah. Let's actually live a healthy life. Let's do the things that we need to to maintain our organs and uh, as you would a, a car engine or as you would any type of engine. Mm-hmm. Let's do the right thing and then – promote that concept. No, we're talking about, okay, the drugs have failed. Let's just go out and create a new one. Right. So we, we haven't learned. We haven't learned from the consequences of our mistakes of if you don't take care of your body, you're going to have to pay the ultimate price. And so when they saw that the medicines weren't working, now what are they thinking about? The concept. It's almost, to me, like an indoctrination, mm-hmm. futuristically, that they're preparing us with these movies, with this mass media thing about Harvesting organs and and you know extending life that way. Where well, I, you I think Doc, life right now, Doctor Batar. I mean, this is the whole focus on genetic engineering as well. They talk about yeah, engineering food or engineering organs, rather than saying, "Hey, I wonder how does life regenerate? How do you regenerate cells in your own body?" And like learn from that and apply it. And of course, that's what we talk about all the time. That's advanced medicine. That's you know the nine steps to keep the doctor away. All the things that are in your book. I mean, that is not as profitable for those. I mean, there was a, a cartoon. I think I put it in the, in the notes today. A, a very funny cartoon Mike Adams put out there uh, about um, the first year medical students, and they say, you know, preventative medicine is killing our repeat customers. <laughs> Basically, you know, they're not coming back. So we got to stop teaching that. But that's the thought of when you know the the medicine becomes just strictly about business as opposed to the art of healing, which we've talked about. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with making a living doing it or even a good living. But in the, in the context of freedom, not in the context of, of, of limitations of the freedom and innovation, that is the monopoly licensure concept. Exactly. Allowing it to compete on a free basis. In other words, let the success of the treatment dictate if it's going to be available to the public. Don't, in other words, the conventional side, they don't put any pressure on the drugs that are having negative effects. If, if a drug gives a... If a person takes a drug and they take a natural substance and there's an adverse effect, the natural substance is always blamed. But if they're on a drug and a natural substance and there's success, the natural substance is always ignored and the drug gets the credit for it. Right. Uh, this, this concept is something that we really need to think about for a moment. And what you just said, Robert, with first-year medical students, what I just talked about, the cloning, we're not looking back at history. Think about this for a second. If cloning 
or harvesting organs or genetic modification or whatever was the right answer, think about this for a second. When you do a clone or when you create an organ from the cloning, that's been one of the you know, topics that's come up before about uh, genetic reengineering and or cloning. <clears throat> when you clone something, clone means that you take the DNA from or the, the, the information of the DNA from that individual and then you clone something. You make a duplicate, right? Mm-hmm. Well, hasn't anybody sat back and thought for a second that information that they're getting is from the body? <laughs> well, then doesn't that make sense? Then why don't you enhance the body and let the body do it, which, which is going to do it? a thousand times better than what we could do it. Right, right. Well, of course... Information is within us already. Yes, the enhancement of of processes that already exist as opposed to the, uh, let's say, crass duplication that man thinks he can do because he's got a great... Uh, let's say ability to think highly of himself without exactly without without any con- uh, consideration for consequences. Right, the pompous arrogance, I think, is what you meant. Right, in yeah, a exactly. nice way that you said. Yeah, yes. I, I'm not as nice as you are, Robert. Though <laughs> we love your directness, though that's true. Uh, so but yeah, it, it is amazing that how um, arrogant the human species is, mm-hmm. and I mean, we've talked about this. You know, where we talk about life mm-hmm. in other realms that we're the only sentient being in the universe and and how people look at the crop circles and look at all these other things and there's there's always a justification and yet how can we really be so absurd and so arrogant to think that we are the the, we're the most i mean i'm telling you robert this is just between you and me and i know this is on the radio but look (laughs) if we're the most intelligent beings out there in the universe we are in some deep yeah, we're, we, we, we joke about the aliens coming down Earth and say, no intelligent life, no evidence here. Let's move exactly. on before, before we get infected. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Well, listen, I mean, there are a lot of stories that, that uh, bring this thing out, not the least of which is the GMO issue. Uh, we just heard that the Seralini study was withdrawn. Uh, that's the one that had the two-year rat study with tumors eating the GMO corn. But, of course, they had just hired this medical journal, supposedly just hired a high-level uh, executive from Monsanto, to be one of the editors, and suddenly, oops, it's, uh, you know, coincidence of coincidences, we find that we don't want that paper in our journal anymore. Uh, but that's the kind of thing of sham peer review as well. Those on the inside of peer review recognize it is not as, uh, let's say, a gold standard in terms of determining what is legitimate science or not. Exactly, and, and the definition of what's legitimate is also based upon the double-blind placebo-controlled crossover multi-center trials. They're not looking at the aspects of these uh, studies from a cohesive, multifaceted standpoint, meaning that if you're looking at an apple and you're trying to find out what is the ingredient in apples that make them so beneficial, and then you isolate that ingredient, and then you give that ingredient to people, and they don't see the same benefits as they do when they eat the whole apple. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a synergism, there's a synergistic component, there's various nutrient factors that together give the potentiation of that beneficial effect as opposed to a single you know, piece of uh, ingredient or single, um, whatever the single component that they've isolated. And that mentality that we have in modern science of every time I see a fire, I see fire engines, therefore I conclude that fire engines cause fires. It's always that cause and effect, but that direct cause and effect uh, is not always what we think it is. You know, we see these heavy metals in patients and we see high heavy metals in individuals that are neurotypic and then we have children that have been damaged by mercury but we see low levels of mercury in their hair and so we say well clearly mercury is not the causation factor here in these children because if mercury was then we would see it 
very high in these children with autism. We'd see low levels in neurotypic children, but we see high levels of mercury in neurotypic children in their hair, and we see low levels of mercury in the autistic patient population. Therefore, mercury can't be the causative effect, whereas, in fact, it actually is the causative effect. The reason we don't see high levels of mercury in the hair of children with autism is because their body can't get rid of it. And so the lack of understanding how these dynamics fit together is really what causes these problems. And I don't know whether, in actuality, these things are that they, they're not understood or that they are really understood, but mainstream on purpose pushes us away from the understanding into a more simplistic right. following, you know, creating the, I know that you affectionately refer to as sheeples. Yes. I think yes. sometimes I think that that's really what the agenda is. Mm. I think so. I think and so. of course, when you talk about the fear agenda, the peer pressure agenda, the economic agenda, all of these things to keep conformity going, and of course, mediocrity as well. Uh, you know, another aspect is the, the cure of cancer. You know, in children, we hear, cover these stories where the, the medical uh, and the state come together and try to take children away from parents. Which has happened over and over again. I know we've just, you recently told me um, between one of the segments about the Amish girl now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's preposterous that we're, that we're still not trying to orchestrate the, this facade. I mean, this child, I think she, they left the country, right? And they said that they were told that she was going to die in six months and if she didn't get appropriate treatment, what they def- defined as appropriate treatment. And it's been more than six months now and she's doing fine. Well, and that's the irony that the spokesperson, the lawyer spokesperson for the, the Child Protective Services and the hospital, Akron Children's Center, are saying, yeah, if we don't get this kid on uh, chemo, she's going to die in six months. Well, it's already been more than six months <laughs> since the chemo and they're saying it now. It's like, wait, where's the credibility? They have none. Yeah, exactly. It's it, it is. It's a very sad situation. I think that <clears throat> a lot of this, Robert, too, is becoming so um, evident. The the lack of credibility is becoming so evident, and so many people are now starting to see through the facade. It's almost that awakening. People are starting to wake up, and you know, December. It's, I cannot believe how fast this year is going on, but. Man. Whenever I talk to people and I see how many people are more aware than they were last year, yeah. and then I think, well, last year, that was only last month, but it was last year. It was actually <laughs> a year. It's exponentially growing, and it's it's exciting because now you can pretty much stand anywhere in any store, anywhere in the United States, like in a Target or in a Walmart, and you can start a conversation. Oh, hold about on. Hold that thought. We, you know, the only thing faster is our segments. we got to take a break. We'll be back to wrap up Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rasha Bittar after this. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Bell Show. So what a difference a year makes, much less a minute now, if things are really accelerating the way it seems that they are, Dr. Batar. You were just mentioning how you're out there in you know, the, the workaday world or the, the, the retail world, even in a Target, and you're just noticing differences in people there. Well, because now you can just mention any of the things we talk about, Robert, on the air that you and I discuss, and it's a conversation starter. People want to know about it, whereas 10, 15 years ago, people would look at us as like, you know, one talk or short of a combination player type type of thing, but now people are like, "Oh, wait a second! Yeah, I've heard about this." Okay, you know, and they they're inquisitive, they're curious, they want to know more. And you brought up this thing about the mediocrity and conformity aspect. You know, what happened to you, Robert? Why didn't why aren't you mediocre? And why don't you conform? Or why didn't I conform? Why am I not mediocre? 
and I'm, I'm asking a question. I mean, it, it's not so much, it may sound like a rhetorical question, but it really isn't. And I think my point is that there are more and more people like mm-hmm. us, and they may not be as vocal and as belligerent as us, but I think there are more and more people that are asking the same questions. They may be right. asking it from a more um, safer stance, mm-hmm. but there are people that are asking these questions, and they're stepping out. And that is truly, truly exciting. Well, and to answer the question, I mean, easily, I think a lot of people will identify it. I mean, seriously, it was suffering. You know, so it was suffering. It was, it's the ailments, the illnesses, the, the, the pain, all of the things that the doctors couldn't do to help me when they were drugging me all those years. And that ultimately drove me to ask the questions that broke out of any, if I had a, any willingness at all to conform, it busted it out of me early on. And I said, nah, I can't play that game. I, you know, I'm here for a different reason. I think a lot of folks are suffering enough, finally. Uh, not that we wish that on people, but whatever it takes. As you said, if you're going to bash your head against the wall, I, you know, I might tell you, hey, that's not a great idea. But if you're going to keep doing it, I'm not going to put my head in between there and get bashed as well. Exactly. But I think that one of the things we can look at, if we look at Hollywood and look at the, some of the movies that are coming out, there are more and more movies coming out. Like this movie, The Island, that I told you about, which isn't a recent movie. I think it's like a five, maybe ten-year-old movie. But there are many movies, even all the way back to Mercury Rising that was done in the late 1980s about autism, a child that has autism that breaks the national security code and the government's out to kill him and the name of the movie is Mercury Rising and it's a child that, you know... I mean, all these things are... They're so true. People don't even understand it. Autistic children are far more intelligent than their peer population. It is a Mercury issue. The name of the movie is Mercury Rising and the child breaks the national security code and the government's after him. Well, it's not very far-fetched from the truth. It's actually basically what's happening because the government ignores the truth and continues to mandate vaccinations, etc., etc. So I'll get off my high horse there. But (laughs) the point is in Hollywood, I think there's a lot of movies being created to actually show some hidden messages. And Mm -hmm. I think this movie, The Island, that I was just talking about actually shows that where the people within the small community that are being programmed to think a certain way, they're starting to question and they're breaking out. And at the end of the movie, they all come out and they see the, you know, how beautiful the world is and how free it is. And I think there's more and more movies like that, like the, hunter, the uh, hunting games or hunter games. The hunger games. That's right. Yes. Yeah. We're not hungry right now. We've eaten too much over the holidays, but I know what you mean. Yeah, and that the message. What's the message behind those movies, which were you know books? More and more of these movies are coming up about people standing up, mm-hmm. and people um, not tolerating mediocrity anymore, not being off the conform. Well, questioning the dystopia, even. I mean, the idea of of, of conforming to a, a a form of enslavement. I mean, that's taken a while for that realization to hit people. That, we, as you said before, if we're ranked sixteenth in individual freedom now in America, at what point do you wake up and go, "Yeah, you're right. No, this isn't what I you know thought I signed up for when I was born into this country." Right, and look how popular these movies are. I mean, they're just they're exploding at the box office. People are just going crazy over this. Well, it's a message that's resonating with people. Mm-hmm. Well, we got about a minute left in wrapping up. I want to remind everybody that Dr. Batar is going to be in Vancouver, Canada. We've got a lot of uh, Canucks, I guess you could say, up there that may want to attend December 14th, brainsolutions.ca. Brainsolutions.ca is the website, and what a dynamic day that will be with you. I wish I could be there with you as well, but uh, we continue on through all this with our weekly meetings here for some advanced medicine, and I'm so glad uh, your dad is continuing to recover, and he'll become, as he is, the living example for recovery from something that uh, we wish he didn't have to have happen, but hey, we're going to make the best of it. 
Well, Robert, I just want to thank everybody. We've had so many people that have called the clinic or written in, sent emails. I know there's a lot of people out there praying. I've talked to a couple of my patients during follow-up, and they hear the show, and they heard about it, and they've already sent sentiments and nice. prayers and intentions. So I thank everybody for that. Well, with that, uh, you know, Dr. Batar, you're a living example for this as well. We're here to remind you each and every Advanced Medicine Monday that the power to heal is still yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.